Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Rebecca Mackay is the Chicago-based author of the novels The Great Believers, The Hundred Year House, and The Borrower, as well as the short story collection Music for Wartime. The Great Believers was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award and received the ALA Carnegie Medal in addition to the LA Times Book Prize. It also has many other honors. Makai is on the MFA faculties of Sierra Nevada College and Northwestern University, and she is Artistic Director of Story Studio Chicago. Here is my conversation with Rebecca. I'm so happy to meet you. Welcome to Ask a Librarian. Thanks for doing this today. Thank you. This is wonderful. I really loved the book. I was so I was so excited for it because I read The Great Believers years ago. And mm-hmm. it's just my sister and I have a shared love for it. So of course I called her once. I knew you were going to be on the podcast and I said, guess what? But <laughs> I'm so excited about all the buzz the book is getting and so many people seem to be discovering it. And I'm so thrilled for you. Yeah. Things have been amazing. You know, this is my <laughs> fifth book. And so you know like I appreciate so much. I wouldn't I wouldn't have my career be any other way that there was this build. Yeah. I think if you know if someone comes out of the gate and has huge success on the first book, God bless. Yes. But you I don't know that you ever fully appreciate everything that everyone else did for you and everything that went into that and how much it is just a lightning strike. Yes. And how many amazing books out there don't have that happen. And so for me, just kind of that that slow build has been, I mean, it's, it's made it more exciting, right? It's like, I'd yeah. rather have that than like have it all be downhill from the first one. <laughs> so. It's true. You wouldn't think about it really, you know, of course everyone thinks they want wild success, but you're very mm. right. I mean, you need yeah. kind of the base around it too. Also to maybe have some perspective on, like you said, the lightning strike element of it, where it's yeah. just such a gift to have it when it happens. And when it doesn't, that's okay too. But I'm so glad right. it is for this book because I do think it's just tremendously timed and really important. So oh, congratulations. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Okay. I want to start by being shamelessly thieving by, because mm-hmm. I'm a subscriber to your newsletter. I'm, I'm fun. Thank yeah. you. Oh, I love it. It's great. So SubMac, which is also super clever. And I laughed out loud when I read that. I was like, oh, she's so smart. So oh, someone I, on Twitter helped me name it just FYI. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know. What to, and people were throwing out these, you know, puns and whatever. And someone did S-U-B-M-A-K-K. And I was like, yes, yes, that's it. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> props to that person. We will thank them. Good job. Yes. So I want to steal. You mentioned a reading in Livermore. So I'm in California in Pleasanton. So just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. To the side of where you 
were, but couldn't make it. And you mentioned that one of your favorite questions was about the first and last lines. So I really Mm -hmm. wanted to hear the answer if we could. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, this lovely woman in in this sort of like a a midday coffee shop thing. And this lovely woman asked this question. So... Yeah, I love and and fortunately the the last I can talk about the last line without giving it's not the last line okay, of the book perfect. is not like and it was blank all along. <laughs> so the the I, I won't tell I won't read it to you or anything, but I'll talk about it. Yes, I would love to hear. Yes. Yeah, which I can tell you the first line is you've heard of her, I say, mm-hmm. which is a way of, you know, this this is a this is fictional crime, but one of the topics of the book is true crime. And yes. one of the things that that first line does is situate this story, the death of Thalia Keith, within this context of all of these true crime stories, especially the stories, these fetishized stories of the deaths of young women. Yes. And, you know, it's a direct address, you know, she, you know, my my narrator is talking to other people but it does include the the reader certainly in that yes. let's pretend for this you know for the course of this book that you have heard of this story and i so i i i think also you know that the you that you changes throughout the book there is sort yes. of a, a specific listener that she's addressing the narrative to in this first case it's more general and it is something that i'm i'm hoping is kind of implicating the listener reader drawing you in dragging you in mm-hmm. um so that's that. The last line is, so I was teaching uh, at the Tin House Writers Workshop on the campus of Reed College mm-hmm. one summer when I was early working on the book. And there were, the campus of this boarding school that I write about has very little to do with the campus of Reed College in Oregon, to be clear. But um, there's this ravine with this bridge that crosses it that I had to cross every day. Mm -hmm. And I was working while I was there on the map of the campus. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put in a ravine. I'm going to put in three bridges. I'm going to do this whole thing. And then while I was there, the poet Kaveh Akbar, who is a brilliant poet and also a brilliant speaker, mm-hmm. was talking, he was giving a talk in my memory, it was basically about wonder and awe and said something about photosynthesis mm-hmm. and the way that he phrased it. Um, it's not the phrasing I use in the book, but he he just said it with such reverence and made it sound so magical that I, you know, instantly in my notebooks, I was, I was taking notes just on his lecture, but I flipped to a new page and, you know, wrote down what he said and then wrote down what I thought, you know, a version of that idea could be in my book. And I I knew, I didn't know how I would get there. I did not know at that point exactly how the story would end, but I knew I had the image that I wanted to land on. Well, I loved it. I thought that was such a good question. I'm totally borrowing it from the lovely woman in Livermore. And thank you for sharing that. I know it was really good. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I love hearing about how things come to be. So do you start with So like you were saying, in terms of how it was going to weave in, do you start with the characters or do you start with a general plot idea or where Mm -hmm. did you start with this one? Or maybe you do it differently. I never start with character. I I know so many writers who do. I start with scenario, plot, situation, setting is usually part of that, but not quite the spark. Okay. And then I need to, my, my process is I need to reverse engineer the characters who are going to be most susceptible, most vulnerable to those situations. So, you know, it's, it's, there's actually a really fun game you can play in your Mm -hmm. head where like, if you just like, you take like the plot of Hamlet and stick 
someone else in Hamlet's role. Like stick another, stick Romeo in the plot of Hamlet. Romeo just like dashes in and stabs people. Like he he's like, you know, I mean, it's yes. not like Romeo's a mass murderer, but you know what I mean? Like he'd be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It doesn't work. The plot of Hamlet doesn't work on Romeo. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can do this with like any, I mean, it's it's, you know, any kind of single person, you know, any any story that's really centered on one person and their character, you just sub people out and it's actually hilarious what happens. So I need the person who is going to, you know, I, I need to know their Achilles heels. Mm-hmm. Um, I need them to be changed by the circumstances of the book. Yes. So Bodhi, my narrator here, she's someone who as an adult is really put together, really successful, really good systemic thinker, really, you know, advocate for all kinds of people. As a kid, she was, as as an adolescent, she was really adrift, really insecure, really ignorant of a lot of, a lot of things. And being back on campus at her boarding school sticks her right back between those two people. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she's still the adult, but she's also still that kid. And she's got to, you know, in the end, kind of has to take the kid she was and drag her into adulthood, you know, healing a lot of the things that she, she you know, the wounds she sort of left open. Um, but for the, for the bulk of the book, she is back there really, you know, almost being dragged back into being 16 years old, 17 years old. And I needed her to be fiercely loyal. Mm-hmm. That's sort of her superpower and also Achilles heel her loyalty is sometimes with the wrong person but when her loyalty shifts you know like you know you you have her loyalty until you don't yes and then you better watch out yeah I loved her character and I really thought you did such a wonderful job of of talking about that time of life I have a 16 year old now I actually had some things that were having me think about my own high school days. And it's just amazing to think about that place where you really are straddled between childhood and adulthood. And also your self-awareness at that level, thinking that you are an adult, right? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I pretty much know everything. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, at least most teenagers I know do. Right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Right. And you, you know, I think so much of what went wrong in in this particular high school is kids seeing things that actually, you know, were horrible and should have been reported to adults and assuming this is what adulthood is like. Yes. And, you know, I, this school is not the school I went to. Bodhi is not me, but that is absolutely the kind of thing that I remember happening in the mid nineties when I was in high school. Absolutely. Yes. It's so true. I really liked the way that you talked about memory and its failure, its fallibility, and just the, there are so many things that we question from that time in our lives, but then also the more we revisit those memories, the more we're adapting them or shaping them. So I really, you did a really good job with that as well. Are you a person who looks back a lot? Did this, did this sort of, I guess, was there an intersection for you when you're writing about this where you're thinking about yourself at that time? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I am someone who I have a very I would say, you know, not accurate necessarily, but very strong experiential memory. I've always been interested in memory. I I remember 
Christmas when I was one and a half, which wow. is a strange, apparently, you know, not a normal thing. I was born in 1978 and I remember the 1980 presidential election, which is also very weird. Like, That's why amazing. was I paying attention? <laughs> why? It was on TV. Like, I, I liked all the, like, pointing at the faces, I guess. So I think that, you know, I there are people who, you know, are, I I understand people's, you know, everyone's memory works differently. Mm -hmm. I don't think that mine is particularly accurate. And I've been fascinated when I've realized that I've just absolutely misremembered certain things or a couple of different times where I realized looking, you know, going to a reunion or looking at a yearbook or hearing from people on Facebook, whatever, that I had in my mind combined a couple of people from high school or college. Like I thought you two were the same person. That's like amazing. you were different. So it's it's really fallible, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, I've just been fascinated by that. I do this, although the short version, I do live on my high school campus, um, yes. which is right. So <laughs> I was a day student, a scholarship day student at a boarding school near Chicago, graduated, went to college, went to graduate school, in graduate school, met this guy, married him, lived in Baltimore. And then I had a job in Chicago, dragged him back. He was a high school English teacher. He got a job at the school I had attended. We live on campus. We've lived on campus for 20 years. And now my daughter is a freshman. <laughs> so it's Amazing. Like, I mean, yeah, you, really, yeah. you really can't write that. I love right. it. It's so meta. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's I'm not, I'm certainly not the only person in a situation like that. A lot oh, of sure. boarding schools have alumni on faculty. Yes. And, you know, I don't teach at this school. I just lived there, which is best of all worlds. Like, nice, beautiful, free place to live, but I don't have to do anything. That sounds fantastic. But, yeah. Yeah. My husband, I mean, my husband has to do mountains. So it's, it's not, <laughs> when I say free, I'm kind of joking. I just mean, of I don't have to work there. So uh, that, of course, you know, it was only weird for like the first month. Mm, that makes you sense. Know, 20 years ago. And now it's, you know, everything's just all the all those original memories are just something completely overwritten by new ones, you know, the, those mm-hmm. four years versus this 20 years of being there as an adult. And, you know, that tennis court is where my kid learned to walk. And right. not thinking about who was on the tennis team when I was in high school. I have no idea, right? A hundred percent. Right. So but of course, yeah, I, I am interested in the palimpsest of memory. I'm interested in the way a place changes over time. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in that setting. I'm interested in the sociology of that setting, the way faculty life works, the way if you read the book, the way people are constantly moving into everyone else's old apartment and you go to a party, but it's in your old apartment, but someone else at the party also used to live there before yes. you did. It's a, I mean, that, that's real. That's really. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
really real. Yes. I love that you were able to draw on those details because you really feel it in it. And, you know, you wrote in a brief interview I read about that it's a place that's simultaneously timeless and transitory. And mm-hmm. that yeah. is so, it's so true where you go back to those places and it's mm-hmm. the same and yet you're different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I love mm-hmm. all those intersections and you do such a wonderful job of writing those. You have Thank a way you. of describing so many things where I read it and I think that's exactly how that should have been phrased. So I love, mm. your books are just a joy to read. Thank but you. oddly, I have not yet read The Borrower, which is about hey. a librarian. So I need to get oh on my that. God. I really need to, to visit your backlist. To be clear, since you are a librarian, I'll say she is a library worker. So I, that's I know there's fine. a very big difference. I'm a library assistant, technically. So, but Excellent. we okay. use the shorthand of librarian. Because that's the it's thing. And of confusing. course, in talking about the book in the, in yes. the flap copy, right, they're not going to say a library worker without an MLIS degree. <laughs> like... It's just like a librarian, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but then I know, like, it's something that I know librarians feel very strongly about it. Like, so. Very much but, so. Um, oh, I hope you enjoy it. It's, I you know, know here's, sure. I am devastated at how relevant the topic is again. Because oh. it, it is about this boy who, you know, 10-year-old library patron whose parents are putting him in anti-gay therapy in Missouri and very concerned about what books he's able to check out from the library. Mm-hmm. And he essentially runs away to the library and either kidnaps the librarian or she accidentally kidnaps him and, and things, things devolve from there. But it's something that, you know, when that book came out in 2011, it felt like I was writing about the tail end of, right. you know, a crisis that. that maybe yeah. we'd passed through. And I'm just, I'm horrified at the renewed relevance of the book. There are quite a few that seem, that seems to be happening where it is yeah. suddenly we're in that time again. Well, so. The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Like, oh. Whoops. I didn't mean for that to be, you know. <laughs> One million percent. I think my sister's yeah. been watching that and I was like, I just, yeah, mm-hmm, can't, can't mm-hmm. do it. Not good for the old mental health at times no, because it kidding. is so insanely relevant. Yeah. 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 Something I really loved about your book was that the way that you wrote, I don't want to give anything away because I'm I don't even usually read book jackets because I'm such Mm. a lunatic. I just pick it up, which can really lead to some bad situations. But that's beside the point. But I think one of the things I like is that the book almost has kind of a multiverse sort of feel to it at times Mm. where Mm. some of... Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Some of the paths that you're going down are exploring what might have happened had conditions Mm -hmm. been such. And so Mm -hmm. I really like how you did that. Was that in, did you know you wanted to have those, those threads, I guess, Mm -hmm. that you were sort of following to a certain point? Yeah. You know, the original draft that I turned in very unwisely had them all smashed together in the middle. So it was like you read part one and then you read sort of, you start to read this version of like Omar doing it and then, but you finish that and then you're like, no, 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 it was this one. No, it was okay. this one. And I definitely, I definitely grew up on the movie Clue where oh. it was like, here's what happened. Well, wait, here's what really happened. Wait, what about this? Man, I love that movie. <laughs> I know, me too. Um, so maybe it was subconsciously Clue influenced now that I think about it. But, you know, my editor, very 
you know, correctly. It was like, yeah, yeah these are like, it's, it's, I mean, it, it felt like I'd hung a giant weight on the middle of a loose clothesline in the middle there. Yes. And my editor originally wanted me to cut them, I think, because it absolutely was not clear what I was trying to do with them. And I was like, no, just, you know, let me, let me try this. I, I, I promise it's going to make sense. And I, then spread them through the book um, and made it clear that these are things that Bodhi is thinking through as possible yes. scenarios. And that, you know, ended up working much better. <laughs> so. uh, absolutely. And I love that story too, because I love that you're a very accomplished writer who is still doing the back and forth with an editor. I mean, it's of just course. the perennial, yeah. like you need those people. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, actors need directors and yes. athletes need coaches. And uh, yeah, you don't like artists need gallerists so that there, there's a there's those things exist for a reason. Yeah. Yes. We shouldn't be left alone. Well, and I'm sure I will apply again, but I actually had applied to one of your story studio courses. Oh. You're online, but, oh. and I can see why talking to you, I'm just, I'm sure that you are also a tremendous gift to your students oh, in you. helping them develop those ideas because so much is just, just in its infancy. Right. And it's so tender mm-hmm. at that time. So to be yes. a person who helps usher usher whatever the project is kind of to the next person and the next level. It's just, it's mm-hmm. such a great gift. So I'm so glad you're in the role that you are there. Oh, thank you. I do love, you know, I, I teach, you know, it's it's 12 novelists usually at a yeah. time. And if it got, if you applied to the online one, I can tell you it was like 150 applications. It was unbelievable yes. like, and all, all really good. There was no one in there with like, you're not writing a novel, you know, <laughs> ridiculous. So please apply again. Um, <laughs> but will. yeah, it's, you know, it, it's been a gift for me too, because I'm able, you know, I've only written four novels, right? but I have overseen and been part of the formation of whatever 12 times 11 is, novels, because that's how long yeah. I've been doing it. I'm not going to do I that. I got to really um, think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, you just, you see the emotional roller coaster. You see, you know, you help troubleshoot. You, yes. it's, and of course, it's always so much easier to see the fixes for someone else's work than your own. Of course, right? 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's been the most amazing training ground for me, mm. just to to walk through that with, you know, with person after person. And these are really gifted writers, right? This is, this is intense application-based class. Yes. So it's not like, you know, you're explaining writing 101 to people. This is like yes. talented people who there's just something, you know, every, every novel has just these impossibilities at its heart. It's like, how am I going to solve this problem? And that's what you're you know, going through with people. Yeah. Working around. Well, and it makes so much sense that you just need that sharpening. And you know, I think that's something I didn't appreciate before I started writing is how much writers need, like you said, athletes need coaches, all these things. But there is sort of this myth of just, oh, I'm just going to sit down and hammer out this book and Ooh, then yeah. send it off and make a gazillion dollars. It's going to be you great. Know what? I think the the myth of Jack Kerouac, especially for like a gen- like young men, yes. is so harmful. And the thing is, Jack Kerouac, indeed, I've seen it in a museum, did write out on the road on a giant, giant scroll, okay. drug-fueled, whatever. Of course. What you don't hear is then someone introduced him to an editor for some who for some, in this day and age, no one's touching a guy with a scroll. Are you kidding me, right? <laughs> no. But 
at the time. Then then this editor worked with him for like two years to get this thing into the shape of a book. It's not like he published the scroll. And I think it's just done so much. Whether or not people are actively thinking about Kerouac, I think that sort of supplanting the idea of the anguished writer with the quill pen and the wads of paper, whatever, which is also silly, but um, that idea of like, oh, it's, it's, that is also not what screen, stream of consciousness means, by the way. <laughs> that no. is stream of consciousness writing. <laughs> very, very different. But that idea of like, oh, I'm just going to do it and it's going to be great. And it was not even true for Kerouac by a long shot. Yes. You know? Oh, you're so right. And it's so wise to share that. Okay. Well, I know you have a busy day of people talking and I have one last question for you. And Please. this is just... So I'm obsessed with the Esther Perel, where should I begin or where should we begin game? And it's just a box of questions and I love them because they're just, they're just perfect. She's a really good question asker. She is. She's amazing. I'm obsessed with her. How could you not be? She's incredible. (laughs) So I wanted to hear uh, in this moment. So the question is, I would love to show blank who Mm. I've become. Ooh. Hmm. I know. Uh, no, no, no. So I, I had, okay. My, my Hungarian grandmother, uh, was a novelist. She wrote about 40 books in Hungarian and she died when I was a baby. So let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think she'd be pleased. I've, I bet. Yeah, I've never really been able to read her because they haven't uh, she was a pretty, she was a pretty well-known. Yeah. An important novel. Her work was translated, you know, that she was writing in communist Hungary. Not a lot of stuff got out. Okay. Um, so translated into like German and Italian, but not English. And I, mm. my Hungarian is pretty rudimentary. Well, hopefully there will be a, a space to read it, but I'm sure she would be I, tremendously yeah. proud of you. Mm-hmm. I, I do have plans to, yeah, I'll have to do something to figure, to figure yeah. out. Yeah. In that. your spare time when you're not yeah. like ushering novels, you know, right, not right, right. Just assisting just, with just that simply, or writing your own. Simply learn the hardest language in the world and then read literature in that language. That's that's the plan. If you could just try a little harder, that would be great. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Get up a little earlier. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Get up earlier. That's my... I I really appreciate that you said that because I too hate that advice. Yes. Well, Rebecca, thanks so much for this time. This has been a joy and a gift, and I can't wait for people to read the book. I know people already are, but it's just fantastic, and I'm Uh, so glad you're a writer. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at juliewritesWords, or you can go to my website, juliewritesWords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book.